Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Comic like a clown. No doses, all pages. Bagging, boarding Batman in the gutter like a Macy's. Storytellers, we some fellas, we some fellas in the mazes. Acapella, Vericella, cause this shit is so contagious. Mouse on the summaries, compiling out the show. While the cycle spitting knowledge on the Yeti like a pro. Beat the babble, we the rabble, don't step to the squad. We get active and haters like a cephalopod. You don't like fish talk? Do you hate a tomato? We the cuttlefish killers, tentacles on the table. Greatest five stars if you cherish your life. Bucky Barnes hit squad spraying lead in your pipe. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Is This Just Bad? Is This Just Bad? The best podcast you never heard of. I'm your host, Professor Mouse, joined, as always, by the CB Cosmologist himself. Audio fails. We live in a twilight world, and there are no friends at recording time i don't know <laughs> sorry dude <laughs> what <laughs> i just i bought a new cord and i've got a cover for my microphone and i thought the recording seemed fine last week and uh it wasn't more gremlins we i Grem- mean specters if you will there was just a, a a number of uh terrible things uh episode a couple episodes back my brother who listens to the show on occasion told me that the, the audio just like exploded and fell out <laughs> just like <laughs> nice I, I, and it also goes to show uh the quality control of the show we don't listen to the show <laughs> <laughs> unless unless on occasion we're right about a tv show then i go back and listen and go eh, well we weren't that right uh, <laughs> well dear listener we appreciate all two of you who do listen and let us know that we fucked up. It is it is astounding though because enough people listen where I ha- I know of all of the episodes that are fucked up and I can't do anything about it because <laughs> those files are they've been disappeared. Yeah, I don't know. I'll check this one when we're done. Um, that will help you, listener. Either this is already good or it's not. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> Yeah, let's let's do let's do podcast business on air. That should just be a show. I feel like that would be uh, the most meta. That would be the the, the end of podcasting. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. So but, the the arc of podcasting bends towards justice. <laughs> but we got a lot. We got a lot to talk about. Um, and simultaneously, not not much to talk about because the things that we have prepared for today's show. Um, one is a, a, a film, a film that is neither here nor there, and also infuriating. So I can I can imagine talking about Tenet for a very long time and also barely talking about it. <laughs> uh, that's the spectrum I'm at with that. Um, but also, the uh, Mandalorian, gotta talk mm-hmm. about Grogu. And Grogu. Yeah. His, his Dark Materials, which I, I feel like, l- l- let's do the first two that I, let's do them in that order. Because His Dark Materials cool. is just, it's just, it's just nice. 
you know? <laughs> no, no. I would rather end on a high note and, and leave <laughs> leave our, our session today feeling positive. Okay, so here's what happened. Uh, movie, a uh, movie came out called Tenet. Uh, it's a word. It's the same backwards and forwards. Very interesting. And... <laughs> Uh, the director is Christopher Nolan, who on this show we have uh, scratched our heads about. Uh, is he good? I mean, he kind of fits the namesake of the show. And is he just bad? <laughs> we don't know. We don't. Who can say whether he is bad or good? Not me. Um, yeah, so we have postulated at, at, at some points. It's like when you sort of describe his movies out loud. You sound stupid. Like you, you sound <laughs> like it, it, it. I feel mad at him for making me sound stupid sometimes for trying to explain what Interstellar is about um, or Inception. They're dream robbers. Go fuck yourself. But it's a great movie, right? <laughs> that movie's awesome. <laughs> that movie yeah. rules. Um, but so Tenet is 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 really strange because I don't know if it's good, and I guess that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, so, but the backstory is that the movie just, just sort of just came out. That was like the canary in the coal mine. They were they were gonna figure out like whether or not they could do a a, a theatrical release uh, with a, a film, a massive summer blockbuster that would stay in theaters for a significant amount of time, hoping that it would just sort of accrue money more slowly because theater capacities are halved or in, in the third or whatever the case may be. And there was a a movie that had been made. It was ready to release from a director who's never failed at the box office, mm-hmm. who is like a box office gem, and he's a sure thing. And he's like one of the few people at Warner Brothers who basically – has uh, carte blanche on whatever he needs, they'll do. Um, and this is, Tenet is like truly <laughs> a crystallization of his sort of infallibility at Warner Brothers because they truly let him do exactly what he wanted to do uh, to the point where it, it almost reminds me of like uh, those stories about the Matrix where, you know, the studio executives were like, yep, yeah, cool. Yeah, uh, the, uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, Matrix. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, just do what, do what you want. Whatever, Sounds good. Whatever it is, we got it. Thank you. Uh, so the movie doesn't do well. Um, and now, after having seen the film and after having read some of the reviews, um, this being sort of maybe not since Insomnia, the movie he did with Al Pacino critically kind of like meh on this film um there may have also it may not have also had the kind of word of mouth that his other movies had where it's like imagine a a a person who is like you know self-consciously putting their their life at risk by going to see a movie at a movie theater and you know having that added weight watching this film and coming out is that person going to tell their friend who sort of is equally invested in watching movies but also a little cautious to risk their life? No. I don't think so. Absolutely not. No. I mean, I would not not counsel that for any movie ever. Right. It doesn't matter what the movie is. 
especially not this one. Yeah, but I know, uh, that's what I'm saying is that like the people who you could maybe push a little bit who who are willing to take that risk, like they're they're not going to end up taking this risk based on word of mouth. They're not going to be mm-hmm. like they're not going to be like to a friend who just watched the movie. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go see this movie that is like very confusing, but also like very simple. But also, it's like, who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. So Maul puts me in a in a odd position every time you tell me to watch a movie, because then I have to tell her that we're gonna watch this movie, and she'll ask me like, "So what's it about?" Or you know, pitch it to me. Basically, and I'm like, I can't. I don't know what this movie's about. <laughs> Well, and having watched it, yeah, right. I now know what the movie's about, and I don't care. Well, so this is yeah. very much the Nolaniest, and it's so frustrating because Nolan is one letter away from being the same backwards and forwards. He should have <laughs> changed his name for this. <laughs> no loan, Nalan. no loan, Nalan. Yeah, right, Nalan. Uh, in any case, this one, this reminds me of you know the stories about Hitchcock not having to deal with the motion picture code anymore like it's this is the nolaniest nolanist movie to ever nolan yeah and what that means is twofold and i think we came to similar thoughts about it big picture which are one it's beautifully shot it's technically brilliant and it's all about tricks with conventional uh effects and photography and Maul, while we were watching it, was pointed to, like, oh, it's truck time, and now it's train time, and now it's car time, and, like, he uses every possible vehicle he can think of, and they're all, um, you know, real vehicles, probably maybe some miniatures, but it doesn't, it feels like it's all big sets, and it's clearly a, uh, he's learned a lot from making things like Dunkirk, where he wants to choreograph huge, basically, war scenes with whole battalion it feels like battalions of infantry Hmm. so there's a lot of stuff happening that is all very um accomplished in the way it is photographed right yeah he's a he's he because there's no doubt in my mind that everything in this film is practical because that's mm-hmm. his gig and even the stuff where like with the the reversals of time that's just playing the film backwards like right he's not doing a ton of uh cg in any of his films absolutely not and so that's a, that's a good point because we were watching and going okay this is clearly a man who and we've talked about this in the past with ang lee and james cameron who will have like a new technical thing they want to play with and they'll make a movie that's kind of like a proof of concept right. of that thing. And this was pretty clearly Chris Nolan being like, what if I ran the film backwards? <laughs> okay, okay, wait. I'm going to run it backwards. Now I need a plot device to justify why the fuck I'm doing that. Well, it's it's this is like the worst impulse of a of a sci-fi author because he ha- he never stopped to articulate the stakes because like mm-hmm. i love a a, a contrived um I, like i love a super contrived plot <laughs> i mean we yeah let's let's shoot batman backwards through time and he's now a time bomb and <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. right and he has a climb back through time and vandal savages following him or who like lovecraft country it was like a, like a highly contrived plot like we love that shit but the 
when you do something like that, the stakes have to be articulated more aggressively than World War Three. <laughs> like the, right. the, the, the movie, the movie posited a real "who gives a shit." Uh, often the sort of future disastrous calamity that we never actually see we're never like scared is going to happen in the movie because so much of the film is directed at at getting you to engage in the visuality of it and that is in and of itself it, it almost it was the experience of watching like a art installation yes Yes, that's exactly right. It feels like going to a museum and being like, here's this thing that we did that's cool to look at and technically clever. But yeah. that's not a movie. Right, and you're <laughs> it's like... It's not well, a story. Yeah, and you're like, what is it? What What's it about? Well, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> what? So, and the problem with this is he was basically filming what would have otherwise been a James Bond movie. But yeah. the thing about James Bond movies is that everybody is like sinking their teeth into the campiness of a james bond movie where you know it's kind of charming and they're this is this is partially why the um the new ones with like craggy mccrag face what the hell is his name uh daniel craig yeah. yeah there we go um don't work as well as he they're so dour like you need to have people who appear to be enjoying themselves and what's so interesting about nolan's worst impulses as a director of people Uh, as a director of movements and objects and and props he's fantastic as a director of humans he seems to think that he can be have everyone be as restrained and arch and cool as possible and that that will direct the attention to the intricacies of his plot and what this reminded me of very much is watchman the book which is, look at the contrivance of my plot. It's like a perfectly sealed piece of machinery, like a pocket watch. But there's no real depth to the characterizations. Mm. And the problem is that if you don't care about the people, then you shine all of your light on the contrivance of the plot. And he establishes in the first 20 minutes that the plot contrivance doesn't actually work. Because there's the... so. Again, if you haven't seen this movie, probably don't. But, um, <laughs> but the the idea is that there are objects that are being messed with so that they now move backwards through time. And so, so you sound like a fucking lunatic. Yeah, right, I, sound, I, I sound stupid. <laughs> right? If I try to explain this movie, I sound like a fucking idiot. <laughs> so the so there's a little like thing where a scientist shows our main character how this works with a gun and he has to like he has to think about dropping the gun and then the gun pops up from the table into his hand because it moves backwards Mm -hmm. and then after spending and he the the woman even has a very meta like a tv screen where she's then shows a clip of the gun moving forward in time the way it normally would to like prove the way this works but then she's like don't don't think about it too hard and the main character's like oh yeah i should just do it on instinct like nah dude you can't set up the rules and then end your like exposition rule setting with eh, hand waving don't worry about it because that just tells me that you don't actually 
care how this works. Right. There's a there's a point in the middle of the film where Robert Pattinson is trying to explain how the flow of time of the entire world goes one way, and so <laughs> the things that are... God damn it. <laughs> I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing a good job, but I just... I I hate everything you're saying right now. <laughs> I do too. All right. So the the all the, the world goes one way so that when you send these things back in time, they their area of effect is smaller because they're fighting the flow of the time stream basically. Mm-hmm. And that is meant to explain why the things that go backwards only go backwards like a certain amount of time. Yeah. So here's the here's the problem where this this all falls apart. And there are very cool ways this is used where there are bullet holes in glass. And because the stuff moves backwards in time, if there's a bullet hole in the glass, you know at some point soon someone's going to fire a gun because that bullet hole had to get there and then the bullet's going to come out of the glass and back into the gun because it all moves backwards. Here's the problem. When did that bullet hole show up? And if you give me a hand-waving, well, causality doesn't make sense when things are going backwards in time. Well, that's fine, but the glass wasn't constructed with the bullet hole. The bullet hole showed up when the gun was fired. So there's some kind of, like, end point where the ripples that these backwards objects, inverted objects, are making has to stop. Right. And if it does, then as soon as you know that these inverted objects exist, and you're aware of that, you should start looking for end causes that don't make sense. So there's a point where they get into a car and suddenly their mirror is broken. Like their side side mirror is broken. Well, they wouldn't yeah. have bought that car and used it if the mirror was broken. So they should know, oh, something bad and inverted is going to happen to us pretty soon. But there's this, like, there's no clarity. For all of the work that this movie does to try to be very clear about the rules, and there's a lot of people talking about theory, and it feels like first draft, draft exposition, and it's really heavy-handed, for all the work they do with that, there's some basic stuff that doesn't make sense. And it's because if the characters were cool and we cared about their struggle and they were funnier, then it wouldn't matter. Because, again, we love Star Trek, right. you know, this, where there's a bunch of nonsense with elder gods and time travel and alternate universes. And, you know, there are ion and there's iron interference or so our shit doesn't work. And, like, that, does, that doesn't matter. You, it, it really isn't that big a deal. Because the characters are engaging and it's about a moral of the story. When you don't have those characters, then you spend the entire time looking at the logic of the world and that just can't hold up for two and a half hours of inspection. Yeah. And also, like, who is, who, who is everybody? Yeah. So <laughs> the first ten minutes, my favorite piece of this movie is the first ten minutes, which is basically Men in Black. Oh yeah, where he like our 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 main character, the protagonist. Who oh my god, he calls himself the protagonist. That's truly like first draft shit. Like he never he just never gave him a name. <laughs> he was like, oh, he's the protagonist. <laughs> yeah, and like Neil Stevenson can't get away with that. And- <laughs> no, <laughs> hero protagonist was the name of, but it was like a screen name, and it was also like kind of tongue in cheek and bad. Yeah, and this was. Not even tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> it was, like, supposed to be clever, and it's just not. So he's, like, a CIA guy, and he tries to... He gets compromised on a mission in the Ukraine, 
and he tries to kill himself with a suicide pill. And then he wakes up, and is like, great, you passed the test, you're now part of the Men in Black, essentially. And like, that's cool. And the, the most I care about this man is when he's getting his teeth pulled out and tortured and trying to, and you know, he wakes up. They're like, okay, we're going to see what his new life is about. And then his character development stops there. Right. And it kind of has to, because the rest of the movie is a fucking time loop. And the problem with time loops is that you see the same information twice. And unless you're going to really reveal something deep and new about their psychology, which you can't in a time loop, because what you're really just revealing is the other side of, you know, the actions they were taking. It's all about, like, the clever puzzle of, of people moving in space. Then you've basically forfeited any ability to connect with these people. Right. There, yeah, because the woman who is explaining to him how all this shit works like disappear like she never shows up again and there are so many characters in the movie who just sort of are there and then are not there and you're like oh these are just means to end ends and but then sometimes they do pop up like the woman that he uh that he talks with in mumbai and then there's like there's there's a there's an incredibly frustrating reversal reversal of her where Mm -hmm. it's like john david washington's like present self is getting tricked by her past self or present self who's all of three of who all both of whom are being tricked by his future self it's just Mm -hmm. like fucking it's just a dumb contrived bullshit and this is where this is where and i texted you that there was like an hour left in the movie that something a realization happened where we where my wife got furious and I just sort of sighed and was like because intellectually we knew that the movie had to uh, had to go backwards because <laughs> there was all, like there was all of this stuff that happened like when Robert Pattinson uh just has this weird interaction in that building with all of the art by the way the art shit it was so stupid <laughs> yeah and we were so mad because like everything's so pretty in this movie and maul especially who's an art buff is like i know i i feel like i should like this movie because it's filled with all the things that i enjoy but i don't like it <laughs> well yeah there was a, there was that there was that scene where robert pattinson weirdly like lets uh one of these masked guys yeah. go as soon as he pulls the helmet off the guy who's moving like who not moving backwards in time the one who's fighting john david washington's moving backwards in time um but yes the, the other one who's not he pulls the mask off and we don't see the identity and you go like oh well clearly that's important right and, it, it, yeah and there are the 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 bullets in the glass where and that john david washington is like somebody, somebody's been here before and so they're setting this up and they're setting it up the entire time that everything that's happening with forward progression is is going to happen backwards as well mm-hmm. and that was like the thing that people came saying about the movie is like the movie goes forwards and backwards but it's literal <laughs> it's literally an hour into the movie, you you have the sudden realization that all of that shit, all like those weird things, like who was the woman that was jumping off of the boat, and right. who uh, who was the guy that Robert Pattinson let uh, let go? Who they try to frame Robert Pattinson as like a potentially a double agent, 
um, and never successfully do it because you realize that all of this is going to be revealed. But the, the issue that I had was that since we weren't watching it in a movie theater, I had the, I had the sort of like uh, ability to check how much time was left in the movie. And when they start uh, going backwards through the plot of the film and I check the time and realize we had an hour left, that's where we just sort of groan. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had the exact same experience because as soon as it's the spring coils – and then almost exactly halfway through, it begins to uncoil again. And once it's uncoiling, I mean, quite literally with springs, as they uncoil, they lose energy and they lose momentum as it, you know, as the tension is released. And by the end, you're like, oh, all these pieces are going to fit into place. And there aren't actually all that many pieces. And so you can predict pretty much where each one's going to fall. And even if you can't, by the time you get to the last one, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, I didn't actually, the woman jumping off the boat, by the end... I was like, oh, yeah, it's the same lady. Right. I didn't think of that. I realized that, and even after watching the movie, there were a couple of p- places in that they hadn't explicitly revealed. Um, like some of the people who save John David Washington during the raid before he gets captured. And like, oh, right, that was yeah. probably Robert Pattinson. And there's this like mild like, oh, yeah, that's probably somebody moving backwards in time. Right. But it wasn't one of those, whoa, like big <laughs> reveal, mind blowing. It's like, yep. Because it went forwards, it's going backwards now. Yeah, it happens to you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the movie yeah, because happens it, it, to you. Yeah, and because it happens twice, you're just like, well, three quarters of the way through the film, I know. Because I've already seen the film. You're right, I already saw the movie. I know exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. I don't, re- I don't remember which one it was. I think it was when they go back to the art gallery and... Uh, and then you're like, oh, that's right. You have the bullets and the bullshit. Like, then you realize, like, oh, God, I'm watching the movie again. I'm watching the movie again. <laughs> yeah, and I was thinking about things like Inception. The Funny, that the biggest impression or the biggest impulse that this left movie left me with was to rewatch Inception. Yeah, I really wanted to watch it, too. Yeah, that's, that came yeah. across my mind. Yeah, it was fascinating. And there are two reasons for that. One, that uncoiling is much structurally much more interesting. Because with all of Nolan's movie, form follows function. The thing about Inception is that it's about people. And it's about delving into people's minds. And so he can't get away with not drafting out characters. Because the whole point of the movie is going deeper and deeper to uncover what's going on in somebody's psyche. And so you have to care about those characters. Here, because it's just people moving one way and then moving the other way, he gets away with these, you know, cookie-cutter ciphers of people. And it's just, it's just not that interesting. Um, but the, yeah, w- when John David Washington's going backwards in time and he starts bleeding randomly and he's in a big suit and you're like, oh, he's going to go fight himself. Then it's like, but why did he suddenly start bleeding at what, at some point? Like some random, how did you decide what point that was? Why wasn't he always bleeding? Because he'd always been, and like that's where the time lo- loop logic falls apart. Right. And since the movie is so, like, look at the time loop logic. We're gonna unravel the time loop logic. We're gonna show you how it all fits together. Like, dude, it doesn't fit together. It just doesn't work. Yeah. And then when they did the the what what the fuck was it called the pin the pincer the the, the mil- temporal pincer yeah yeah when they when they were explaining that I totally checked out. I was like I I could give a shit. 
and that's kind of like the whole movie just beat like beats you to death with explanations about how time works um but it never stops doing that it never it it, it it's almost like nolan is trying to do what is impossible we know this because Back to the Future doesn't make any sense. Avengers Endgame doesn't make any sense. Like, none of these time movies add up. Um, <laughs> he's trying to make the one that does. And so he, he, he builds in so much explanation. But then, like time travel, branching paths of more and more <laughs> complicated questions. Like, why isn't the car going backwards? Or how come sometimes with the, the, they're experiencing inverted time, it's going in a forward progression because that's how film works. Like, <laughs> it's so, <laughs> it gets so confusing uh, because the version of the, the film that he probably wanted to make, uh, I, would, I, would, I would say is probably unwatchable. Because, like, truly, he's, tr- he's trying to, he's trying, he's trying his best to do motion in reverse and have it tell a story. But because stories are limited by the capacities, by the, by the, by our recognition of most stories being linear. And he should know this because he did Memento, um, which was much easier. He just did it backwards, like truly backwards and then sort of built it, built it up. Um, But here he wanted to actually like physically alter the way that, we experience the film to so, so have people moving in reverse. And I bet he would probably have shot the last hour fully in reverse if he could have gotten away with it. Yeah, I bet you're right. And even the final product I found visually taxing to watch. Like it, it hurts to watch it because your brain is trying to reconstruct it forwards in order to make it make sense in your head, even as people are moving backwards, and you have to be like the whole time, like no, they're supposed to be moving, but moving backwards. But it just, it's it's like trying to, you know, watch a strobe light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What with that said, well, I do have another gripe, and I and I texted you about this. This man does not understand sound. Like oh yeah, this was the big thing that I had heard about this movie. Yeah, go ahead and do your thing, and then I'll tell you my <laughs> my experience with it. He like he has said he he I think he said recently like he doesn't get why people are so are so are so pressed about his movies being inaudible, which I think is so funny. Um, he he cannot sound mix his films, and and I think that it's it is proper to place the blame on him and not his sound mixers because what he tries to do is so dissonant. Like he makes really loud bombastic movies. He makes like Michael Bay level (laughs) movies Mm -hmm. and he wants the sound of the explosions and all of that shit to really, really hit and be effective and this is the guy who who pioneered the blomp right trailers <laughs> exactly yeah and 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 to your point about his sort of um his his sort of flailing characterizations in a lot of his films he has said i remember watching something about the dark knight um and i think he was talking about heath ledger but he 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 was he's basically saying like 
I love casting good actors because like they can just do their thing and then I can figure out like if they look good. <laughs> like he's because he, he's so worried. He's he's a, what kind of director who is behind the camera. Like some directors just let the cinematographer do their thing, but he wants it all to look perfect and to sound perfect. And sometimes he could give a shit what the actors are saying, just as long as they look good while they're saying it and all the ambient noises work. And, but so he has sound problems and also devalues sound in the final product, uh, which is all made all the more infuriating by the fact that he loves to put his character in a mask. He loves <laughs> to put Tom Hardy in a fucking mask. He, he loves to make masks a central element of the film, of Tenet. So the last hour, they're wearing these fucking masks, and you cannot hear what the fuck they're saying. <laughs> yup. It's, it's baffling. It, it's so crazy. So two things that are interesting. I'm so glad you brought up his thing about like act, just letting actors do because I'm watching Kenneth Branagh in this film. Oh my course. god, he needed direction. <laughs> well, but that's the thing is, yeah, Kenneth Branagh is just on his own, just making strong choices. <laughs> Real and you know strong. <laughs> <laughs> More power to him because everybody else, it was very clear watching Kenneth Branagh and watching John David Washington that neither of them was given any direction. The tone is so wild in the movie. Yeah, and so, and so John David Washington and everybody else in the film is basically like took their cues from Michael Caine. It was like, oh, we'll just do like, we'll be icy cold and cool and suave and not really put much oomph behind any of our lines because he's not telling us to like do it again with you know, once more with feelings. We just won't have any feeling in it. And it's very cerebral, and that's what they want. And Robert Pattinson manages to get a little bit of warmth into his performance because um, he's just kind of like a... He's got kind of like a sad, melancholy aura about him anyway. He did a good um, job because at the end I was like, oh, that sucks. Like when you yeah, realize and, that and, he, yeah, Yeah, and that one's tough because by the nature of his character, they try to, at the very end manufacture some sympathy for him being like they were friends the whole time in the future I'm like i don't i never want to see a sequel of this film <laughs> about them um yeah it, but it but it sucks that we didn't get more of that because he's a good actor uh but kenneth Branagh is like oh i'm not getting any direction i've directed myself <laughs> in movies before i'm just gonna do all the things he he sounds like he sounds like he sounds like, like the hunting fu- moose and squirrel. Yeah, uh, exactly. I was going to say the villain. I can't. I, what are their names? Like villains from Rocky and Bull. <laughs> yeah. Boris and Natasha. Boris yep. and Natasha. But at the same time, I mean, it kind of works. And But he's the only one I cared about in the film as a result. Like he's goofy. Yeah. But by the end, it's like, okay, he's when they're finally talking on the boat and he's all ready to kill himself. It's like, okay, this is approaching Bond villain. But it's only at the very end. And it, this movie suffers weirdly. You know, we talk a lot about underexposure of, like, the monster and how normally when you don't see the monster, it's scarier. Yeah. But here, the fact that you never see the future that's trying to kill us um, is boring. Yeah. Like, the most interesting thing that happens to me in the film is the flashback to seeing Boris... Um, <laughs> It hunt like digging up uh, radioactive material in in Stalingrad or wherever he is. Stots twelve, um, 
Like, that's cool, because we get some background, and it's another world, and it's got a very Terminator feel to it, because it's dark and scary. And if we saw, you know, the environmental holocaust that we have visited upon the future to give them some sympathy, it would matter more. But as a result, there just are no stakes, except the stakes that Kenneth Branagh has to try to carry that entire weight himself. And he just can't. Yeah, I mean, it's like... It's so wild, too, because you could just sort of name any movie that kind of works and go, like, oh, yeah, I, I immediately understand uh, the stakes. It's like Inglorious Bastards. It's like, uh, it's World War II. They want, they need to kill Hitler. It's like, okay, cool. Like, that's – I'm uh, immediately, like, I understand that problem, and I think it re- requires a solution. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I'm like – the problem is World War Three that hasn't happened yet, and that no one even knows what it looks like. Uh, nobody even knows what the results of it are. Because <laughs> right. remember, we fought a world war, and it was like kind of like necessary, unfortunately. <laughs> like, what is what's the what's the conflict? I don't understand what the actual fucking conflict is. All I understand is that there's like a cartoonishly Russian Englishman. fucking uh, 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 doing a fake accent like i don't get what why i should give a shit like i don't know what i know what problem you're trying to solve but it doesn't inherently strike me as a problem that even needs to be solved i think that's what reminded me most of watchman the book of this like we you know when the heroes by the end are like we just failed to prevent ozymandias from saving the world maybe but right. no one's really sure if, <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I'm glad I read this. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's <sighs> so fucking yeah. I mean, it's so uh, time loops are bad. Yeah, d- um, don't do time loops. And this also, and to transition to something, well, not to transition, but to like tie this into something that we've talked about and checked in with. That probably is never going to happen. But uh, reset, resetting the DCU through a flashpoint. It's just so hard to do this shit. It is uh, a damn near impossible to do this shit. This shit is so fucking hard to do time yeah. travel shit. And I don't want them to. <laughs> <laughs> just stop. Just please stop. Yeah. It's just not it's not an experiment that's worth running, really. And clearly this was, you know, an intellectual labor of of whatever Nolan has in his heart that's sort of like love. Um, cause he can't apparently emote, <laughs> but I just, it's just not worth doing truly. I mean, so the last sort of comparison point, and then we'll move on is the one once in future King, which is the basis. And I'm sure Nolan did this on purpose. The basis of King Arthur mythology is a fucking time loop. Um, because Merlin moves backwards through time and gets younger and that involves, and so he hides the grail, but never doesn't remember where he put it anymore because he's getting younger and forgetting things. Um, and that sort of, it messes with predestination and it gives everything kind of a dreamlike, detached quality. And it's part of the reason that piece of the mythology is rarely adapted because it's stupid. Right. Um, wow. I, I, I like time travel like, 
to speaking of the once and future king, I like a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court where mm-hmm. it's just like, uh, who cares? Like he's just, he's back in, he's from a different time and he went back in time and it's weird and it's funny. Yeah. It, does, it doesn't matter how he got there. <laughs> yeah. Who cares? <laughs> and the mechanics of it and like the consequences don't matter. The point is he's here as a fish out of water device. That's when it's cool. And you get to play with like, here are these, you know, he knows stuff that they don't from the past, or how do you deal with, you know, a culture that's not your own? Using that as an excuse to put somebody in an unfamiliar situation is always interesting. Yeah. Using it as a meditation on the mechanics of causality, like even that sentence is stupid. Don't right. do that. <laughs> I uh, have you ever watched a movie called Primer? No. So, I mean, I can't even really tell you what it's about, but it's a time travel movie by a guy named, what the fuck is his name? Shane Carruth. And he, I believe, is a, or was a physicist at some point. Um, he's, He's a filmmaker now, but, so he makes this movie primer that, um, essentially these 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 guys who are working out out of their garage uh, in in the sort of like uh silicon valley environment like they're trying to to do the thing that you know jeff bezos did like to come up with the next big thing in their garage and get vcs to invest in it and shit and along the way they accidentally invent a time machine and i remember being like oh that sounds really cool uh as just like a, a an idea so when i read the the description i was like i'll watch this and it's also like 80 minutes little did i know that he, shane carruth in this film is trying to do what christopher nolan is trying to do in tenet which is make time travel make sense and so there's so much like physics nonsense like the words that they use and the jargon is incomprehensible it's worse than tenet by the way like at least in tenet it's like english shit like here mm-hmm. it's like full of like physics jargon and and like complex theory and he has like a schematic and people have developed <laughs> like uh, uh, a theory surrounding the time travel device that was created in primer and try to make it work on paper. It's bizarre. If you're even remotely interested in this, which I think you kind of secretly are. <laughs> you, yeah. You like I know primer. I am. <laughs> I will never watch it with Maul. Would, might, <laughs> that might, that might just divorce me uh, putting her through that. Uh, but, um, wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. And it's interesting to, to try to do that on film. Yeah. Because it gives you the opportunity to run things backwards if you want to. But in any case, don't watch this movie. It is just bad. Nice try, Chris Nolan. Oh, the last thing I'll say then. I just watched it with subtitles. The whole thing. And yeah. um, a, lot of the, a lot of the words that are inaudible don't matter. <laughs> well, none of the words really matter that much. Yeah. Uh, well, but it's also very like I am going into these films now knowing that the director doesn't even think you should hear the words. Like <laughs> sometimes, even the director, the guy who's like who made this movie, it is intending for you to be like, "Oh, cool car thing," and not like, "Oh, just blew my mind with that whatever he said." <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that witticism. No, that really Nolan is getting more and more Michael Bay esque the more movies he makes, and that is not a good look. <laughs> yeah, but it's also not a bad look because he's going to continue making these these movies, and they're going to continue giving him as much money as he wants. But I do think that he should probably do some type of property. Um, like a IP that already exists again, and and just just get a couple of like because he's becoming a parody of himself <laughs> at this point. Yes, uh, just get he like a grounding. Star Trek or some shit. Give him something that he can like Nolanize, and it'll be great. Uh, I I I think those Batman movies are fine. Like, I think they're yeah they were great for the time. I I watched every single one opening day, and I was like, what is he gonna do? He has like, a distinctive voice. Um, that lends itself well to uh, adaptations, but his his original shit is so hit or miss because you're right, he doesn't give a shit really about the the content. It's all a means to an end to, to do something interesting visually. Yep. Well, uh, I guess uh, there's no there's no uh, there's no shaking it. We do have to talk about. Fucking Grogu. <laughs> Grogu. How are you feeling? How have you... So it's been a week. Have you fully adapted to that name? Are you feeling okay about the word Grogu? I'm thinking about him... At, at, when I think about that little creature, I think Grogu. That's okay. <laughs> That's in my in my brain. That's, that's who that thing is. Um, don't know... Uh, okay. There are a lot of stuff. Wait. Do, was there an episode that we... Are we just on this episode? Is this the only episode that come out that we haven't talked about? Yes, yes, because we did a bunch last week, back-to-back, and kind of bounced around. Gotcha. Okay, so this was like the big... This was like the big episode of the season where they had set up... And they had set up uh, Ahsoka Tano in the... Katie Sackhoff episode, so like two episodes ago or something like that. Yep, that's right. And then they take a detour um, so that he can get his 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 eighties world, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and so he can get his fucking shit fixed, and um, Carl Weathers could blow some shit up. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so so we 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 come back to that. He goes to find Ahsoka Tano. Um, it's immediately. It is so refreshing to see a Jedi just do some Jedi shit. Like, mm-hmm. I love a lightsaber. I love the way I love, and I'm going to say this and it's going to sound kind of like shitty, but I love the way they unnecessarily like do moves with the lightsaber. They just spin it around for no reason. I love the choreography. Like, they have an in house style of Star Wars. It's beautiful. It's, yeah. It's, it's just great. like. It's this like hyper Kurosawa, right? Yeah, where it's not it, it's not always practical, but it is like based in in trying to. Uh, it's, it's very Nolan-y in that regard. It's just like visually, it's so stunning. I remember, man. There's a scene, not a scene, but there's a moment where Anakin and Obi Wan are fighting. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but this, so this is the last scene where they're fighting on the fucking lava planet. And, uh, there's a moment in which they both stand in front of each other and just swing their lightsabers around their bodies. Not, not trying to hit one another at all. (laughs) Yeah. 
and it, that fucking rules to me. I love it. <laughs> it's like this weird peacocking that they're doing to each other, just standing in front of each other, not trying to hit each other at all, just being like, look at my moves. Look at my moves. We'll do it at the same time. Like, what is this? <laughs> it's so cool it's so cool so i just love seeing that shit seeing uh rosario dawson it just like embody ahsoka tano like the the visualization and the the costuming and the makeup was so great and to also just kind of know what she's up to like she's going around i mean she has a a much larger (laughs) plan that we discover at the end of the of the episode, but I also wouldn't be really bummed if she's just kind of going around and being sort of like a low key vigilante trying to like Jim, yo Jimbo, just like wandering Ronan doing good deeds. Exactly. Yeah. Which is what I thought she was doing until the very end of the, uh, of the, of the, of the episode. Um, but she, yeah, she arrives in this place and she, she gives him ultimatum. Um, the woman, what is the woman's name? She's from Clone Wars, the bad Yeah, woman. or she, the magistrate. She's got like a very Victorian-sounding name. Can't remember now, but she's a disciple of Grand Admiral Thrawn, and she's like a, well, weapons dealer, basically. And the woman who plays her in this is a famous stunt woman. So she's, again, basically cast, and this is very much, The Mandalorian is interesting because they have unlimited money. And so they will cast, like, really famous or really accomplished people in very small roles because the people are doing a lot of heavy lifting because they have very limited screen time. So you have to cast, like, the perfect person who can have lots of ideas about how to move because it's all about the choreography and about the staging. And so this lady, you know, she get cast because she knows how to wield a spear in the most badass way possible. Yeah, her, this is this this is why I needed to know the name because it's so crazy. Her name is Morgan. Okay, yeah, right. Morgan Elspeth. Morgan right? Elspeth, yeah, played okay. by Diana Lee Inosanto. Uh, who I don't is she? What mostly stunt work, from what I understand. But in anything like super famous that we would know, I don't know. I could look it up. Well, while I'm doing that, the other guy, of course, that we do know is Michael Bain. Right, which, God, Michael Bain. I mean, the kids still listen to this show. They don't even know about Michael Bain, do they? They don't know it no, from Michael Bain. He was, that's true. He was, yeah. the, he was the hot shit. He was the guy. I got to figure out. I'm, I'm just going to very quickly look at his 80s and 90s resume because it's fucking crazy. There's a period of time when he felt like he was just in everything. Yeah, so, I mean, he's in The Terminator. He's Sergeant Kyle Reese in The Terminator, which came, comes out in 1984. Two years later, he's in fucking Aliens, mm-hmm. which is crazy. So back-to-back, he's in sci-fi classics. He's also in The Abyss in 1989. He's in Tombstone in 1993. He's in Terminator 2 Judgment Day two years before that. This motherfucker is, like, in every big... Uh, 90s and 80s sort of action franchise, but not just like the action franchise of like the Stallone of First Blood, like the ones that survived the test of time. He's in all of these like classic movies. He's in The Rock in 1996. Like he, in the 80s and 90s, is like a go-to guy to play not small, but like significant roles in films. And then he just, he just loses it. Um, And it's mostly just probably 
Hollywood, maybe burn some bridges. I don't know, but there's nobody that that was that famous who became that unfamous. Yeah, that I can think. I mean, of. there are these people. There are these people who embody their era of movies, and then you kind of forget that they're still around. But you know, he's still here doing his western thing. Um, so uh, Morgan Elspeth, the actress, did stunts for Blade. Oh and shit. Mystery- mystery men and buffy and she was in the hulk and in star trek and in a bunch of tv and in tokyo drift um, that's the best one <laughs> and fight trainers for lucifer so she's just, and fight trainer for alita battle angel so she's really just it's it's like um it's like bringing a famous wrestler to the performance center to train other wrestlers like this is a lady who is just in the background making everybody look good. But what's also interesting about that list is that's like all shit that we watch. Do you, mm-hmm. do you think that like all the shit that we watch, it's all the same stunt people? <laughs> Probably. I mean, there's, there's, you know, in the same way that there's like six or seven actors who, you know, are in all the sci-fi stuff. There are, there's the kind of this class of, of TV actors, like they're in all of the Law and Order things, or they're in all of the sci-fi stuff because they're good at looking good in makeup. You know, once you do stunt work for sci-fi, you're going to keep doing stunt works for sci-fi because it's a different kind of fighting of, I need to be able to fight as though I have enhanced strength and tentacles versus right, yeah. I need to like throw a regular punch. They're like, we're doing the, we're doing the, 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 this fucked up nerd shit, bring Diana Lee... <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> and her cohorts um yeah 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 so uh, great casting all around um they uh yeah so they go in this town this town's like barricaded off the people in there are oppressed like truly mm-hmm. fucking back in the day like uh hanging They're- Hanging on, yeah. People uh, in agony booths that are, you know, basically crucified or being tased to death slowly. It's very brutal. And this is the thing about. So again, haven't done a bunch of Clone Wars background myself. It occurs to me that this is what kind of bugs me about Star Wars, and it's 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 a stylistic choice. But everything is so grungy and sad all the time. mm -hmm. Yeah, like all the worlds are beat up and shitty <laughs> all the tech is old and doesn't work and it's just it's sad and it's these like libertarian communities of people fending for themselves which lends itself beautifully to a western and a samurai western and you know there are this there are shot for shot call outs to yojimbo in this episode and it's great for what it is but it's hard for me to like watch a lot of it at once because it's really well yeah it's like dour because there's like what has sort of been established in the extended, uh, in the well, I, I, it's, it's also because Star Wars doesn't really add up. There, the Republic evidently didn't do shit when they mm-hmm. when they knocked out the the uh, Empire. Like they didn't do a fucking thing because the stratification of wealth um, that is present when the First Order takes over the galaxy is still like staggering. So in Star Wars, you'll either have, like, the casino planet, where it'll be, like, rich as shit, or, like, in Solo, a Star Wars story, wherever the fuck uh, Michael, what's his name? Uh, 
what the fuck is his name? Paul Bettany. Michael. <laughs> well, Michael? I was thinking Michael K. Williams because he was originally cast. Uh, Paul Bettany, uh, whatever like planet that he lives in and where he's like fucking all rich people or you have just like abject fucking poverty. And so it's the, the wealth in Star Wars is so stratified that whenever you encounter a protagonist or somebody that you're you like, they're going to inhabit a shitty fucked up planet. They're going to be moisture farmers on Tatooine. It's going to yeah, be like it's so strange that we've got like there's this uh, there's this overthrow. So you've got this, I guess, neoliberal um, old republic or the republic that becomes the empire. And then the Rebel Alliance overthrows the Empire, and there's a bunch of hand-waving about, well, they're trying to consolidate their power and rebuild things in some kind of core worlds, and the outer worlds just are left to their own devices. But they've been left to their own devices the entire time. Yeah. And then 30 years later, when the First Order rises, nothing's gotten better. You'd think there'd be a fucking middle class or some shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> there's not, they didn't do anything. No. <laughs> They sucked. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, and, and this, this this episode of the color palette is brown. Like, yeah. And that is. The, I mean, it's very cool looking for what it is, but it's just like, ugh. Yeah. Just everything is mud. Yeah. It's just a fucking bog, dude. I I I would I was I was like, is this where they're just gonna leave Grogu here? Because they kind of. <laughs> I mean, it's another mud planet. Yeah. yeah. He would love a mud planet. So, yeah, so uh, Ahsoka Tano says um, to Morgan, you gotta, you have to surrender and tell me where your master is, and one day I'm going to come and just fuck your whole shit up, and then she leaves, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is great. I love it. Uh, then Mando lands there, and Baby Yoda at this point in the, in the series has been really acting up. And I th- yes. I think that the reason that they did it is because there's a moment in the in the episode where uh, Mando and 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 Grogu have to form like a a real connection, and even and Mando even says in that moment like uh, when Ahsoka Tano says like he'll listen to you he'll be like it'll be the first time because Grogu has been a fucking terror. <laughs> Four or five episodes, like way worse than he was in season one. Just like, just eating shit and fucking stealing shit and fucking throwing up. <laughs> just like a fucking disgusting toddler. And it's so, it makes you just not want to have kids. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, so, and, and in here, he has that little, little ball that he likes that's part of a lever. Um, which I know that Mando is like trying to get him to, you know, be a little more respectful, but the, the, the device does not need that ball. No, it is purely, (laughs) it's purely cosmetic. (laughs) Cause Mando keeps saying like, I told you, you have to leave that on the ship. It's like, why? Just give him the ball. You don't need it. (laughs) Flip the lever without the ball. Uh, as a minor inconvenience for you, but it would be a major convenience once fucking Grogu is sitting over there for eight hours, just t- like staring at this thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that they come and then he gets admitted into the place. He sees what's going on. This sort of despotic autocratic regime. The woman Morgan has a fucking uh, what's the metal called? Uh, adamantium. The Beskar. Beskar. Yeah. Yeah. Adamantium. Basically. <laughs> There's like fucking uh, uh, spear of pure Beskar and says that 
um, I'll give it to you if you kill the Jedi. And it's like uh, Mandalore and the Jedi, they hate each other. And it's like uh, classic shit. And he goes in uh, the woods. He finds Ahsoka Tano. They have a, a small fight which I think um, was a good move because it's like they're going to be friends, but we do want to see them fight. <laughs> yeah, that's that Marvel That's that Marvel team-up shit. Yeah. Like, I still got to see them test their might against <laughs> each other first. Yeah. And, and we now – and we get reinforcement now that the Beskar – pure Beskar steel is lightsaber-proof. Yeah. Yeah, because he is able to block her lightsabers with his uh, gauntlets, like his uh, mm-hmm. forearms. And – yeah, so they they have a, they have a little tussle, and then he they 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 break up, and she and he says, uh, I, "I need to talk to you about something." And then it cuts to Baby Yoda, and she goes, "I hope it's him." And so then here's where they do they do a bunch of like uh, reinforcing of old Star Wars lore, uh, filling in some of like where where all of these people are coming from, and also slightly kind of challenging and redirecting some of of Star Wars lore, particularly around like uh, Mando's adherence to this code because um, he does not fulfill his contract, but he does leave with the Beskar spear. Um, So we find out that this creature, this child, baby Yoda is actually named fucking Grogu. And he was raised on uh, Coruscant. Is that how you pronounce Mm -hmm. it? Yep. Uh, And he was like, He's 50 years old, so he has lived through in sort of like Star Wars uh, mythology, the prequels, and the sequels. Yeah, so he would have been born basically like right before the prequels, lives as a very young young thing, a youngling being trained on Coruscant by... All of the you know Mace Windu yeah. and Yoda. And, he knew yeah. he knew he knew Mace Windu. He fucking yep. he knew Kit Fisto. He knew Kiati <laughs> Mundi. He knew all the all the, all the hits. He knew everybody. Yeah. Qui Gon, Qui Gon Jinn, at fucking Anakin Skywalker. Everybody, yep. Ahsoka Tano, fucking uh, uh, Queen Padme. Everybody. Uh, so he's getting trained in the Jedi Order, like all the other kids. He's just got a very slow growth cycle, which we reinforces our understanding of the fact that like Yoda's nine hundred by the time he dies, um, and they just live for a really long time, but they grow up slowly. And then he's smuggled off world right around the time Anakin's killing the younglings. Right. Also, there there is in the prequels there is, and nobody knows how these this species reproduces, but Yoda and Yaddle are there in the Galactic yes. Senate. So that's, yes, and maybe they're boning. <laughs> they, they could be fucking, uh, and so that those could be his parents. He could have been born there, and then this little baby was being trained by Yoda and Yaddle. Yaddle disappears. I guess people didn't like her character design, but maybe they can bring her back in the mythology. She could actually be alive still. She may have been, you know, Yoda may have been like whatever nine nine hundred she could have been like 700 (laughs) right uh uh yeah so he's smuggled off world so there's three jedis that we know of who are smuggled off world uh well three force sensitive people luke leia and grogu Mm -hmm. um and and this is all this is very classic star wars uh 
shit, also, also Wolverine shit. At a certain point, he can't remember anything else. Because <laughs> 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 it can't be that easy. So a- right. after he's smuggled off world, I- I'm not sure, does he remember the experimentation that they were doing on him recently? Yes, I think so. I mean, he's so traumatized. Like, he's still a child. Right. And so part of it is he doesn't trust anybody anymore. He's full of fear. And we know that fear leads to anger, and anger leads to hate, and hate leads to the dark side. Um, But he's blocked out a lot of memory and also dulled his own force sensitivity in order to hide from people who would want to kill force-sensitive beings. Right. So there's a lot of, like, rebuilding that needs to get done if Grogu's going to fulfill his destiny as a Jedi, and because Ahsoka's got the whole, the old Jedi theory of... And this is... We've never seen this go right. We were talking about this on, on group chat. Um, unless you've played, like, the old Republic video games, we've never seen a Jedi training go the way it's supposed to. Right. They never, and, they you never know, do it. They never do. Like, they're too old, they're... You know, they're, they've got issues, they aren't detached enough. There's this, like, ancient kind of monk idea of it's hard to get it right. And as a result, Ahsoka's like, eh, I don't want to train him. He's too far gone. And it makes sense. She's traumatized, too. She, she studied under Anakin. Mm-hmm. Anakin became Darth Vader. She doesn't want that to happen again. She doesn't want to make those same mistakes. Well, he, so and here's the fucking wild thing about Star Wars. Um... <laughs> it's the same it's always the same story with mm-hmm. with this because Yoda who saw Anakin Skywalker become Darth Vader uh who fucked up royally um uh doesn't want to train train Luke Skywalker and it is just like I'm not fucking training you I, there's no way you're not ready and you're you have a shitty attitude and fuck you and eventually ends up starting to train Luke uh, trains Luke to a to a degree, and then Luke leaves to go uh, fucking find Luke and or Han and Leia without having completed his training. It's like okay, um, so he's traumatized by the by by a Darth who who emerged by by somebody a Padawan that goes to the dark side and is reluctant to train Luke. In the sequels, fucking uh, Luke Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> is traumatized by the fact that one of his Padawan goes to the dark side and is reluctant to train Ray, very reluctantly agrees to train Ray, and then Ray leaves before her training is complete. So it makes sense to me that Grogu encounters ah- Ahsoka Tano, who has seen a Padawan or seen a person go to the dark side, is reluctant to train him. And we'll end up uh, relenting and training him, and then Grogu will, I don't know, fuck off. <laughs> he, he's, he's not very mobile, so I don't know how he's going to leave before his training is complete. But maybe it's because he grows so so uh, so slowly that his training actually is going to take, like, 700 years. <laughs> not only is it the same story every time, it's the same people. <laughs> <laughs> they never learn. <laughs> it's like the same four people involved. Uh, yeah, just kind of exhausting. Uh, yeah, I mean, so the other thing that, um, yeah, so the other thing that, that, that folks, uh, reacted to, and I, I, I recognize this name, but I did not have a strong reaction because I truly don't know anything about this guy, 
is that uh, the master that Ahsoka Tano is looking for is uh, General Admiral, uh, what is he? Thrawn, yeah. Grand Admiral Thrawn. Grand, Ad- Grand, and he's so he's only from the books, right? Yeah, he's blue. And he's, I think he's in Rebels or one of the... He makes some kind of appearance in one of the cartoon shows more recently. This is... Um, and he's interesting because he's also a holdover from the pre-crisis, if you will, uh, extended universe. Gotcha. So okay. when Disney bought it, the guy who created Thrawn um, wrote another book that was, and he th- he threaded the needle so that it would he could reference the stuff, the pre-crisis stuff, if he wanted to. Like all of Thrawn's story is pretty much laid intact. And Thrawn is one of those guys from the Extended Universe, kind of like the pirate prince uh, from Shadows of the Empire, who is one of those, like, more. you had to make them more evil than Darth Vader. So that, in comparison, you know, the evil people you already knew didn't seem so bad. So he's pretty compelling, he's cool, um, he's, he's, a, he's a badass, and he's, he's, he's a good big bad, certainly, to have. Um, and a big, you know, a big, very popular among, among big Star Wars heads. So, should be neat interested to see if they actually cast somebody if this is going to be a season three type of thing if they're angling for an additional spinoff this is sort of interesting this is dave dave filoni who created a bunch of these cartoon shows who worked on avatar the last airbender before that and who now is involved with favreau and doing this has this he's living the dream like he's had the uh really interesting experience of being able to shepherd these characters through most of their existence and kind of grow with them and, and see them. So for purists who really like their the way they look and the way they uh, operate in the cartoon shows, there's no confusion or concern about, well, somebody else is taking the right. It's the same guy doing the writing uh, just across different media, which is it's really impressive. It's uh, It creates some, some nice consistency. And the great thing about, or the, the really fortunate thing for... Uh, Filoni is that there are a lot of Star Wars creators who wrote, you know, comic books and 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 wrote novels that got George Lucas's blessing um, that were retconned as as being out of out of canon. Mm-hmm. Dave Filoni, all of his work is still canon. Um, yeah, he got very lucky. Yeah, because the the Clone Wars, you could easily see them shit canning that as as non canonical. Um, but I I guess I guess because george lucas created the show um although, yeah it was too wrapped up in the prime timeline basically yeah yeah uh, yeah and so so all of that shit is canon and and the other thing that this and and that, that's basically the episode I, I i think the the only growth we see from mando is that he does accept um his his contract was to kill ahsoka tano in order to get the beskar spear she offers it to him he says no i didn't fulfill the contract and then I, I forget why, but he relents and he takes it. Well, and, she appeals to him like, yeah, but the Beskar needs to belong with the Mandalorians. It's like, all right, well. Right, yeah. yeah. So it's like he, 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 he overlooks a part of the code to satisfy another part of the code, which is still he's still wedded to this code. But they're, I think they're planting seeds of, like, growth in Mando. Um, mm-hmm. And she ultimately refuses to, to take Grogu. Um and there's a real sweet moment too, where he's about to pass Grogu off to Ahsoka Tano, 
and it it's, it made me sad. <laughs> I was like, yeah, like fuck. Uh, but she ultimately refuses and um, sends him on another quest of who 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 the fuck cares? Like that's like, yeah. <laughs> so he has to go to another place with another temple, right? And then if they like send up a beacon, if Grogu meditates at this temple, maybe another Jedi will come to find them. And that sets up all sorts of interesting ideas of like, ooh, what other Jedi could it be? Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe it's Mace Windu, maybe it's Luke, maybe Sebastian Stan will play Luke Skywalker. Um, <laughs> that th- but... that has no legs, right? Like, that's no, just a fan no. thing, right? Yeah. On the other hand, so was um, Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano. Like, all of this is just boss logic being a kingmaker and mocking up people in fan art and then people being like yeah that looks good right and sending it to producers so no legs who, unclear what is who is uh darth maul anyway <laughs> uh the, the uh, that's awesome the other thing i was gonna say is um she could just be bi- biding her time and she'll be the jedi uh, oh yeah right and also or you know the or grogu's gonna send up a signal and it's gonna attract the wrong kind of attention from some evil former jedi or sith and then she's gonna have to swoop in and save them and then relent because as we've established it's the same story so right. probably she's gonna train <laughs> grogu for a while right well the way grogu's been behaving he's gonna fucking fart on the beacon he's just like you know, he's just... He's gonna do a Calvin and Hobbs and just piss all over it. This fucking this is a terrible kid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> speaking of terrible kids, do we have time to talk about Lyra Silvertongue? Or should we... I think we'll do that. We'll do that next week. Yeah, yeah let's we'll save do a it. Big uh, wrap up. Well, d- here's the the one thing that I will say about his dark materials, and this is just something that I will forget by next week is that um, the release schedule is dumb as shit. Stop doing that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we should talk about that just for a moment here. So, um, if you live in the uk you can watch it a week early um the bbc because it's a co-production between hbo and the bbc they just uh air it on the bbc in the uk a week early then and then it's online and so if you have access to bbc's iplayer you can just or you know other ways to watch things online um you could just watch it early and so everybody who can was watching in the u.s is a week behind and for something that's supposed to be a massive draw to hbo subscribers and it ought to be it's an excellent show we love it it seems like they're cutting cutting the legs out from under it yeah yeah it and it and it doesn't make any sense because it's a full week so i went back and looked at the release schedule and in for season one it was a day and I still don't understand why there was a day delay between the UK release and the and the HBO release. Maybe it's because people in the UK have HBO and they want the ratings for the BBC. Or, I have no idea. Um, but it, it could also be something that doesn't like fundamentally alter anything for them. Um, it could just be uh, like because. This is a, also like a very American-centric way of understanding. It's like, why wouldn't they release it over here at the same time? Um, maybe the BBC just really doesn't give a shit, and HBO is just kind of a distributor, and they're just running the whole thing, which is normally yeah. what happens with like fights and stuff, where it's like, the fight is going to be broadcast on pay-per-view in the U.S., and then 
uh, on Sky TV in the UK and blah, blah, blah. And there's like, where it doesn't matter. It's just like wherever the fuck you are, we'll broadcast it, whatever. But the big deal is that it's going to be on pay-per-view in the US. Maybe that's what it is. It's like on the BBC and then you Americans can go fuck off and watch it on HBO. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, that feels right because it's an, it's an almost exclusively British cast with the exception of Lin-Manuel and Miranda, who I will will spend next week talking about probably uh, <laughs> Got it. Uh, uh-uh. uh, but other everybody else is british and so it's probably just you know when they say it's a co-production what that means is they sold the rights to hbo to distribute it and then hbo would fund some of it but hbo can you know fuck off and die right um but it, it just doesn't it doesn't yeah i guess it doesn't matter for the ratings either way it's because it's like we don't get the we really don't get the bbc here um do we get bbc at all we get the bbc news we get bbc america you get bbc america but that's mostly like and they'll do they'll show doctor who when it comes out but it's also and sherlock but it's also always on in the uk first so they just they you know it's it's the turnabout is fair play we're not the main market for it and we get what we get (laughs) yeah i mean we get it on the same day somehow uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes if you're enterprising and you know luckily blockbuster uh has a deal with the bbc <laughs> i don't even know if it's worth like maintaining this this facade <laughs> everyone knows what we're talking about <laughs> i like it it's one of the few bits we have left i'll take it from me right yeah like at, uh, pretending that people don't know where we live and when the only football team we talk about is the baltimore ravens <laughs> <laughs> yeah why would you subject yourself to that if you weren't in their market i could not even yeah, we can't we can't we can't get on this train i'll fucking kill myself uh that'll do it for this episode of is it just bad follow us on twitter and instagram is it just bad email say is it just bad at gmail.com follow the cosmologist on instagram at sergeant bucky bear that's sgt bucky bear and follow them all on instagram at mad mall cosplay we'll see you in the next one bye is this just bad it's like what pirates brought your brain, robbing knowledge, no joking. Opening your mind with a crowbar till you're woken, hitting hydra, hailing hairs, have a time for hella reasons. We're more than winter soldiers, with the men for all seasons. Listen closely while we share our expertise in cosplay comics culture. Dean is free tuition to the multiversity. Mouse is like we're teaching perfect balance when we snap infinite gems into your ears. Dust our shoulders when we speak. Purple men persuasive feet. Where Randy Savage rattles with immortal technique. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.